0: Genesis chapter 1. About 30 years ago, um, I began to help and work at a ministry not too far from here called the Christian Counselors Training Center. And one of the first things that we did was we wrote six different classes. And the first class that we wrote was called Biblical Problem Solving. It was designed to help people who would come to us for counseling and people who just wanted to work through issues in their life to do that from a biblical perspective. And we started that first class in Genesis 1 to 3, and I hope tonight to share a little bit of what we did, and uh, because I think it is absolutely critical. It's even more critical today than it was uh, 30 years ago. But if you'll follow with me now in Genesis 1, we're just going to read the first five verses. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was out form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light that it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. So the evening and the morning were the first day. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for Genesis. Uh, We've heard many sermons. I recall Pastor Bullock's sermon about a year ago and magnificent teaching out of these first few chapters. Lord, we know that you've given us so much here, we cannot begin to touch upon it all, but we pray that the few things that we do touch on tonight, you would impress them into our minds and our hearts, that we might know them, not just uh to repeat them, to assent to them, but that we may trust them and live our lives on the basis of these things. We commit this time and this study into your hands. We pray in Christ's name, amen. I don't have to tell you that we live in a world where there's a lot of turmoil, there's a lot of trouble. We live in a culture where Supreme Court justice cannot answer the question, what is a woman? Uh, You're allowed to choose your pronouns. Uh, You can have whatever set of pronouns you want to use for yourself. Uh, You can choose your sex. You can change it on the whim. Uh, You can define marriage. We have all kinds of ways to define marriage. Those kinds of issues have crept over into the church. I look back on Revoice, and I don't think that that's over with, but we've kind of taken a lull, but it's an attempt to redefine sexuality so that a pastor can describe his essence as sinful and still be a pastor. Um, Matt Fender had a wonderful article that came out, uh, I think yesterday, on the Aquila Report If you haven't read it, if you're not familiar with Aquila, if you want to keep up with what's going on, it's a great place to find out about things. But Matt talks in his article about how a church has redefined or is trying to redefine preaching. They had a woman come on Sunday morning for the Sunday morning worship hour. It's against our Constitution and the Word of God for a woman to deliver a sermon Somebody called it to their attention, so they called it a Bible study. So it's okay to have a Bible study. Um, pl- again, playing with words. Uh, there's three questions that come out of Genesis chapter 1, and I, I want to talk to you about those three questions because I think they help us to understand our culture, help us to steer a biblical course in the face of a culture that doesn't know who it is, where it's going, and the influence that that has on the church. Let me back up just a bit and say that this sermon has three points. First point is Genesis 1. The uh, second point is Genesis 2. And the third point is, very good Sparky, Genesis 3, it's good to have people that all three all three points have the- th- same three sub points uh, when we started teaching Genesis one, there were two things that and when you do Bible study, one of the things you do is you look at the text carefully and you, the easiest place to begin is to look for repetitions and as we looked as I looked at genesis one uh it talked over and over again about, and God said, and God said, and so it came up with who's in control, and then it said, and He was good. And the second question, or first second first question, who's in control? Second question, what's He like? But there was an elephant in the room that I never saw. And I saw it, but I didn't realize what I was looking at until a few years ago. And this is not. This has become the first the first question i think it's very clear from genesis and here's the question how do we know how do we know anything second question who is in control and the third question is what is he like so as we look at genesis chapter 1 first point first subpoint how do we know how do we know anything We know anything because God speaks. God is a God of words. He's a God of sentences. He's a God of propositions. And as we look at Genesis 1, what do we see? And God said, let. God said ten times in that chapter. And he said, and let there be eleven times. He speaks. And those words have meaning And we have no right to change those words and to change those meanings. God is rational. He's logical. He is the source of truth. It is the Bible alone that is the Word of God. Everyone begins with assumptions about knowledge, It's foundational. Everyone begins with assumptions. The question is, what assumptions do we begin with? I like to say life is like geometry. If you remember geometry in high school, how did you do geometry? You had to begin with assumptions. You had to begin with presuppositions. And the Bible gives us those presuppositions for all of knowledge. We have to be alert to the fact that the world and the church is often wanting to change the dictionary. Remember Neo-Orthodoxy of 30, 40, 50 years ago where they used words that came from the Bible and they sounded as if they were Orthodox. But what they meant by those words was something very different. Christ didn't literally Rise from the dead. He you had this emotional experience of Christ, and Christ arose in your heart. Whereas the scriptures are really clear that Christ died, he was buried, he rose again on the third day. Again, to go back, to change the dictionary is what much of Revoice was about. Calling a sermon a Bible study to get it approved is that is that kind of thing. We change the definitions of pronouns. We change the definitions of people and who they are. So the first question in Genesis 1 that Genesis tells us over and over is how do we know? We know, and it begins with God. God has spoken. The second question that is there is who's in control ten times in genesis one it says and god said and it was so it was so is repeated six times god speaks he we know because he speaks and when he speaks what happens things happen now everyone has someone who is the captain of their ship for many in our age, it's me. I can decide who I am, what I am, what I'm going to be, as opposed to who's in control of everything. And the scriptures are saying that God is in control of everything. So that when things get fuzzy and things get confusing, and I don't sometimes may not know which way is up, who's in control? God is. How do I know that? because the Word of God says so. It says it over and over, but in Genesis 1, that's where it begins. Now, when you have somebody with that kind of power, what do you want, what do you, what do you want to know about him? Well, you want to know if he's good. You see, if, if somebody has that kind of power and authority and control, if he's bad, that's a problem. But if he's good... That's wonderful. And over and over again, it affirms to us in Genesis chapter 1, eight times, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw that it was good. Over and over, the world that God made was good. And you tend to think, well, man is going to live happily ever after. Well, let's look at Genesis 2 now, verses 16 and 17. We come to point 2, Genesis 2. Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. Now before we look at our three points, I want to clarify. What do we mean by the knowledge of good and evil? Well, it's a Hebrew idiom. In Hebrew, totality is expressed by polarity. That may sound a little confusing, but I'll explain it here in a minute. Totality is expressed by polarity. In Psalm 1, the writer says about the blessed man, His delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day, day, and night. You have polarity, day and night. And what does he mean by that? Well, he means that the man of the blessed man meditates on the Word of God all the time. It's a a man whose life is focused on the Word of God day and night. Pastor prayed from Psalm 103, a few verses down. It says, As far as the east from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. you have the polarity, east and west. What does that mean? It means that God has taken away totally. When God forgives sins and God forgives our sins, he takes them away completely, totality. In Genesis 8, when the Lord, after the flood, he promises that there will never be a flood again, he says that while the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, Winter and summer, day and night, shall not cease. All of those are polarities. Seed time, harvest. Cold, heat, winter, summer, day, night. God is making the promise that there will never be another flood. Now when we come to this in Genesis 2, what are we looking at? When God commands man that he... May eat of every tree in the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God's plan is very simple. How do we know? How does man know here? God's plan is very simple. It's very clear. You can eat of every tree in the garden. Every tree. This is a wonderful, perfect place. You can eat of everything, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The second point, first point, how do we know? God told us, told them. Second point, who's in control? Notice the warning. God says, For in the day you eat of it, thank you, Bill. God says, For in the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. God is the one who has control over this garden and over these circumstances and over this one rule. So our third point, How do we know? God's simple. Who's in control? God is. He gives a warning. What's he like? Well, he says, of every tree of the garden, you may freely eat. So there's the whole garden that's there available to you. You can eat of any of it. Now, let's go back in. Just the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. What does this mean for them there in the garden well, it's, it's to teach them and for them to understand that they are creatures. We know that this phrase, the knowledge of good and evil, it's applied to God by Satan in chapter 3. You can be like God, knowing good and evil. He's tempting them. You can have the knowledge that God has. Later on in the chapter, God laments He says, man has become like us. He knows good and evil. So this tree is there for them to understand that they are creatures. It's asking them, are they willing to acknowledge the wisdom of the Creator? Are they going to recognize who is the Creator? Again, going back, who's in control and what's He like and how do they know that? Well, God has spoken to them, and this is an opportunity for them to learn and to grow in that. So let's go to our third point, Genesis 3. Let's read the first three verses there. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made, and he said to the woman, "'Has God indeed said, "'You shall not eat of every tree of the garden?' And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. So where does Satan begin with his attack? Well, he begins, Hath God said? Did God say? He's going for the word of God. He's attacking the words of God. But notice how he does that. He said, has God said you shall not eat of every tree in the garden? What has he said there? What had God said? God said, you can eat of every tree but one. Satan comes along and says, did he say you can't eat of any trees in the garden? What is Satan attacking here besides the word of God? Well, he's attacking God's goodness. Remember the three questions. The third one is, what is he like? He's trying to create in Eve's mind doubt. Is God really good? Is he really good? Did he say you can't eat of any tree that's in the garden? Notice Eve's response. How does Eve respond? She adds to God's word. She says, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of Of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Well, she more or less gets what God has said, but what does she do? She adds to the word of God. And what do we see by that? Satan's attempt to create in her mind doubt about the goodness of God has taken root. There's a very fine commentary on Genesis by a Lutheran named H.C. Leupold. Leupold said this about Eve's doubt. To have suspicions of God and his goodness is a wicked insult to his majesty. Let me read that again. To have suspicions of God and his goodness is a wicked insult to his majesty. And I personally believe that she's already sinned in her heart as she has shown this doubt. One of the things that I would apply here that we have to understand, and that is that evil begins in the heart long before it can be seen in the actions. Evil begins in the heart long before it can be seen in the actions. We talk to men a lot in the prisons and jails Men who are struggling with addictions, with drugs and alcohol. And we talk about repentance and the need for repentance. And if you're at the bar and you're an alcoholic and you're about to take a drink, it's a good time to repent. But it's not the best time to repent. The likelihood that you'll repent and turn from that right there is not real high. Where do you begin? You begin a week two weeks, three weeks before by thinking about what you're thinking about. And how are you, how are the old ways of this idol, of this God? I need this God to make me happy. I need this God to fulfill me. So I begin to think about that and I begin to meditate on that. And I begin to cultivate in me this desire and that leads me, that leads me to that moment when I give in to that temptation. It's really important that as we deal with sin in our own lives that we begin to understand how evil begins in the heart, begins in our minds long before it breaks out into the actions. When Luther said that all of the Christian life is one of repentance, this is what he's getting at, that we need to learn to repent, and I say this, we say this a lot, we need to learn to repent early, early, And often. The earlier and the more often that we learn to repent, the better we are going to deal with sin and bring change in our lives. Notice verse 4 in Satan's response. The serpent said to the woman, You shall not surely die. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So, what is Satan attacking now? You shall not die. What is he after now? Well, he's after God's power. God, God doesn't have the power to bring this off. He's told you this, but he can't do this. So you see, he's gone after those three things. Is God's word true? Is God really good? And thirdly, he doesn't have the power to do what he said he would do. So what does the woman respond in verse 4 or verse 6? The woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise. She took its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Go back to verse 5. For God knows the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good in evil what is the nature of eve's sin it is the lust to be god at the heart of every man and woman born in the world since adam the sin the nature of that sin is the lust to be god i want to be god in my world You begin to understand this when you look at marriage in our day and the trouble we have with marriage. If you have two people who both want to be God, you see, in a relationship, only one can be God. And in reality, there is only one God. When two people, a husband and wife, are bowing their knee to that God, what happens? They begin to grow and they grow closer to each other. But when they want to both be God in their relationship, what does it do? It creates war. I have a little test for you. Suppose that i'm the uh, I'm the production manager, manager for NBC Channel Twelve in Richmond, and we're doing a we're going to do a program tonight on television, on the news, and we're going to have a video. We're going to talk about the source of wars and drug deals and drug overdoses and divorce and murder. We're going to talk about all the problems in the world. And I have a time machine, and I'm giving you a video camera. And I'm going to put you in that time machine, and I want you to go back, and I want you to videotape the source of all these things. Here's the question. You go back. You're there. What do you see? You run the camera. What do you see? woman goes over to a tree. She takes a piece of fruit, takes a bite out of it. Here, honey, have a bite. He takes it, and he eats it. You mean that's the source of wars and murders and drugs? Oh, that's not exciting. We can't make a movie about that. But what is profound about that? You see, the issue is not whether it's exciting or whether it makes a great movie. What's the issue? The issue is God's Word. What does God's Word mean in this circumstance? You see, understanding sin and understanding evil is not about the drama of it. It's about how it relates to God and His Word and how I have disobeyed His Word. Another point that comes out of this, that all life is a gift of God's mercy. Think about Genesis 1, and God said, let there be light, and God said, let there, the waters divide, let there be, let's make man in our image. And it happens. It was so, it was so, it was so. Did the God who did all that even have to show up that day? Could he have just said, You're gone. Yeah, he could have done that. He could have done that. But he didn't. He didn't. He came back to the garden. He came back to Adam. He came back to Eve. Why? Because he's a God of mercy. He's a God of compassion. In all the world, scriptures say, the mercy of the Lord, the earth is filled with the goodness and the mercy of Of the Lord. Now, if when you're struggling with that and you're having a hard time with that, it's good to go back to the Word and take a look at God and who He is. How do we know what's going on around us? Secondly, who's in control of it? God is in control of it. Third, what is He like? He's a God of mercy and compassion. Another point I would draw from this is broken relationships with people are one of the primary fruit of our spiritual deadness toward God. Broken relationships with people. Ephesians 2, we says we conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh. James 4 says, From whence comes wars, fightings among you, they come from our lust. Titus 3, for we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. Our goal in understanding this, though, is not to fix relationships, but it's to fix our relationship to God, because it's not just getting right with people. It begins with getting right with God. God, as Luther we referenced earlier, Luther said that all the Christian life is one of repentance. And as we see these things and as we bring these three questions to bear in our lives day by day, how do we respond? Well, we respond with humility and we respond with repentance. Jesus said, I didn't come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. The same is true for those who walk with him. God comes to help those who are humble. Isaiah 57, 15, one of my favorite verses, for this is what the high and lofty one says, he who lives forever, whose name is holy, I live in a high and a holy place. The God who spoke, the God who speaks, the God who knows all things, And has all power and all goodness. He dwells in a high and a holy place. But also, he's in two places. The second place, he's with him who is contrite and lowly in spirit. So he's high and lofty, but he dwells with the one who has a contrite and a humble spirit. And he's not just there. Notice what he's there to do, to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. The God of heaven and earth, the God who knows everything, who knows good and evil, he knows all things. He has all power. He's all in control, and he's good. He comes to the humble to change them. To encourage them to revive the spirit of the lowly to revive the heart of the contrite one if you're struggling tonight if you don't know the Lord he's there he's there if you come and bow your knee to him if you're a Christian and you're struggling and you're discouraged you're down you're not sure I encourage you to take these three points how do we know We know reality from God, from His Word. The Bible alone is the Word of God. Who's in control of everything? God is. What's He like? He's good. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You that You have given us a word, a word of truth, a word about reality. We thank you when we take that word and apply it, that you are with the humble, that you are the God of heaven and earth. You are the God who spoke reality into existence, and you come to your people to help them. We thank you for that. We look to you tonight. We pray in these days. We pray for our General Assembly as we try to sort through many, many issues. Lord, you know we're a big church, very diverse There are a lot of places for weak and bad ideas to seep in. We pray that you would give us a zeal for the truth, to lovingly care about the truth, about your word. Lord, we pray that in your sovereignty and control that you would steer our denomination for your good, for your glory. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.